I saw a kid at mass with a monkey vest on. His dad had him on a leash. Oh, gosh. I don't have a relationship yes. with like 30 prostitutes in downtown. See, these but. are the stories that used to be in like Catholic Digest. No. The kid was bugging no. out. No. <laughs> This is Visitation Sessions, a weekly conversation featuring Chris and Emily Chapman and Kate and Casey Stapleton. This week's topic, the season of Lent. So today we're talking about the season of Lent. So Chris, what is the season of Lent? Wow, put me on the spot. Uh, the season of Lent is the, the season prior to Easter where we are asked to do penance for our sins, so it's a you know it's a more somber discipline season of discipline you know supposedly and I mean the church doesn't impose that much on us other than Ash Wednesday and Good Friday of fasting so not eating food and abstinence not eating meat and then Fridays not eating meat but uh, you know each Catholic is asked to do some penance for their sins and so it's up to you to, to how much penance you're going to do and. What kind of penance you're going to do? It's so funny because when you say it that way, it doesn't sound like a lot. But Lent is so intense, I feel like. Uh, normally, because we're Roman Catholic, so it's yeah. not Eastern, intense. E- Eastern, Eastern Catholics Catholic, are much more intense. serious about it. They're probably, anybody listening to us, they're probably laughing at us right now. They so, mock us. What, what, is, what is Lent, Eastern Catholic Lent? Uh, I mean, I know, like, I think it's much more prescribed, you know, so like, I think no dairy. It's like no animal there, products. There are more, yeah, animal yeah. products. They go vegan. They go vegan. What about like- It's pretty, yeah, and then it's more more days too, I think like Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, it actually starts a couple days earlier. They start they Monday. They do like the great, yeah, yeah. Again, I'm not an expert on it, but I know it's more intense because my friend Father Alex is a Ukrainian priest and you know, he would tell me sometimes, I was always like, dang, that's and it's in this, in a certain way, it's more culturally unifying. Mm-hmm. So there's the sense of, okay, we're all giving these things up and we're doing this together. And it's it's a thing you do where I'm, we can't even agree to give up sweets. You go to a fish fry and there's like a dessert table out on Fridays. And I'm like, really? This seems a little contrary. I know, but then it's like, oh, well, you didn't get up sweets, so you can... You can yeah. indulge. I'm like, but I'm it's like, Lent. Should we all you know, give should sugar? we be having the triple chocolate cake? I know. Right. <laughs> Just, <laughs> but, it's much more choose your own Lent, choose your own adventure if you're Roman Catholic, whereas if you're Eastern Catholic, I think there's a greater cultural s- solidarity in the experience of walking the Via Dolorosa. Maybe that's why it also works in Islam. You know when they do Ramadan? Yeah. Everybody is just no food, no water from sun up to sundown. But afterwards, they have a huge feast and, uh, I mean, is it healthy for your body? Probably not. But but everybody's intermittent fasting now, and people are like, I'm on the like day on day off, meal on meal off. Like Lent, Lent should be really stylish right now because fasting is is like what's what's. Let's hit. make Lent stylish. It's true. Let's bring it back. <laughs> Why not? Let's make, I'm making let's make Lent, Lent stylish cool again. right now in my sweater. With I mean, my skirt. I think, Casey, what do you tell your students when, when you tell them what the season of Lent is? What is it? I mean, you start, I start off with the, the bare bones, like, hey, here's the requirement what the church teaches. It used to be a lot more rigorous, but like many things, it's been, you know, watered down. You know, there was an ideal and people couldn't always live up to it. So the church kind of watered it, you know, watered it down. But I, I try to make it uh, like one of the assignments for the seniors this year. Uh, I made them do like a food video, like either a YouTube short or a TikTok where they had to um, show how they're going to abstain from meat. So they had to make like in their group, make a dish, like exquisite grilled cheese sandwiches. Okay. Like maybe that's not the spirit of Lent or like the spirit of Christ's death, but I was trying to make it as approachable as possible because a lot of the kids get very anxious about the idea of fasting and abstinence. Like it's this monumental difficulty when really it's just like a normal day for most of them, which is waking up without breakfast having an awful lunch, and then all of a sudden you have a normal dinner. I'm like, but let's let's make it exciting. So they made like a food video and some range from, you know, your, your Gordon Ramsay tile, style thing to, uh, you know, to some, for the shy kids, like some ASMR thing of like someone just silently chopping onions and, you know, smacking their lips. Uh, but the whole purpose <laughs> was to show that like, not so much you can have fun with this, but it's it's approachable. It should be invigorating. It shouldn't be a drudgery. And it, it should be... Like it should be a unifying thing. It should be a movement. You know, Lent should be. It was always meant to be like a, a Christian season, and but somewhere along the line, 
it seems it seems like you said Emily to go very individualistic and it's just not as fun so I want to bring that back what are common aspects of Lent that you think could kind of draw people together I mean I think the fish fry is trying to do that having a communal fish fry I don't know how I feel about it happening in fire halls I think that's they're stealing the thunder of the Catholics (laughs) listen I mean I appreciate firefighters but like I don't think they should have it. Stop That's, treading on our fish fry. Yeah, yeah. We get, we get what, a few Fridays a year to make it happen? Firefighters in their defense, though, there's volunteer firefighters, and, you know, people aren't joining them. We don't have a communal culture anymore. So the right. same way that we're not communally celebrating Lent, we're not communally getting together to rescue people from burning houses. And given the quality of the fish fries I've been to lately, hey, I might I might just show up to the firehouse. You yeah, know, I mean, Catholics like, how do, you, how do we support volunteer firefighters? I mean, I, I think... Plates also, so greasy I can look through them like a window. Do you know I mean, how bad the fish <laughs> fries are here in Steubenville? This is one of the great things we've sacrificed in moving back to Steubenville. You can always come back and visit. However, right. we used Good to have ones. to go to the KFC hall. What? Over in Weirton. I don't I mean... I think there may be still one out at the fire Wait, hall. But let's, it, let's clarify. KFC hall is not KFC chicken... It's the Knights of Columbus. Yes, I just wanted to, to note that for our listeners. That's their acronym? KFC. K- yeah, yeah Knights of Columbus, KFC. I thought it was K-O-F-C. Well, K of C. Who even talks? <laughs> Emily might yeah. be collapsing it down, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like slur- I think that it's important to note that the Knights of Columbus are not serving fried chicken listeners. on Fridays. I mean, <laughs> I think Pittsburgh has a fascinating food culture with its fish fries. So, mm-hmm. so it's been, yeah. that was kind of how, that was Holistic. our initial map to Pittsburgh was to visit the parishes of Pittsburgh. Oh. You know, we kind of slowly started going to mass in all of them. But we initially kind of were like, let's check out this fish fry. And every single fish fry is so individual. I'm always a little bit confused about the fasting aspect i mean i think having an Mm. entire massive fried fish that's like a foot over a foot long yeah if you're not from pittsburgh on two pieces of white bread but yeah they're huge they're like could feed huge pieces of fish i mean yeah and french fries obviously french fries whole family you can't pittsburgh fish you can't have pittsburgh without french fries or you can because you could have pierogies like it was you can eat very well at the fish fry on a Friday. But there's this, but what I like about them is the solidarity and the communal aspect. Yeah. Yes. So we're doing this together. It's Lent. It's Friday. We're going to go to a fish fry. And I think there's something beautiful about that. I think one of the problems with Lent these days, besides, there's a couple problems. But one is that we've, I don't want to say over-spiritualized, but I don't know how else to say it. Like we've made it so, you know, you immature people can give up chocolate for Lent. I'm going to give up riding my bike so I don't add to the emissions in the, you know, in the environment, or I'm going to do something extra spiritual. And I'm like, but grace builds on nature. And so giving up, doing something physical, doing something really simple, like giving up chocolate, giving up sweets, that's not a lesser thing. Like that disciplines the body. You can't discipline your spirit without learning how to discipline your body. And so I think people have less good lens because they try to be too, highfalutin about it and really we just need to do more what our great-grandparents did oh and you always get david mills our friend david mills who writes for the post gazette and other things calls this out every year i I, i'm i admire him from doing this but he said he gets on the people that are always trying to say well it's not just about giving something up no you can do something you know and they try to reorient you know basically fasting which is giving up food you know which is really primal i mean when you think about it i mean just eating and hunger are very primal experiences you know other abundance or lack of and he really gets on people it's like look all right fine you know if you want to if you want to do that in, in your in your penance then fine but you know fasting it's you know it's prayer fasting almsgiving yeah. these are the linchpins of you know penance and you don't have to reinterpret them especially i think as you're saying like over spiritualize them like well i'm not going to give something up you know i'm going to do something well like you know, the, it can be both you can and. Do both. You, you can right. do both. We are and, both and people. So. And there really is something, you know, having fasted on and off over the years, you know, uh, you know, for, for all kinds of reasons. But, you know, Lent, I mean, there is something about just being hungry and really going through the day and knowing you're not eating the next meal or you're just going to have a piece of bread or, you know, bread and water or however you're going to do it. Uh, that really gets to the heart of, you know, the bodily nature of being a human being is I'm hungry 
And, you know, and the one that we've talked about this many times, it really usually shows up the shallowness of my virtue. I won't speak for other people, but, you know, as soon as I'm a little bit hungry, you know, <laughs> you know, and then people say, well, you shouldn't be fasting because look, you know, your, your charity is going out the window. I said, well, really, it's just exposing that I'm really not that virtuous. You know, you, you take, you give me a couple hours where I'm not eating or circumstances aren't just quite right. And then, you know, my supposedly charitable nature is out the window. It's really exposing that. You know, I'm a, I'm a wretched sinner and I need God's grace desperately. And uh, that's really what you're doing too. You know, you're saying the food that I eat, which really does help me fulfill my duties of life and live, like I need God's grace more. And so in a certain sense, you're making room for it. So, Yeah, and obviously there's people who can't fast for health reasons. Yes, that's, you know, there's everyone is called to use prudence about how much you fast and when you fast and what your particular situation is. But as Americans most of us could fast more than because i think we're afraid of being hungry americans and maybe that you know you could say that that's because we have a deep underlying spiritual hunger but physically it's it is scary to fast it feels scary to fast i think at the same time though this is the time of year where naturally it kind of flows naturally to begin fasting i think you've gotten through this season of feasting like for me january 1st is always a really hard time to be like and now you know i've been like feasting Mm. feasting feasting and then it's like like you know (laughs) you're trying to pull the brakes on the train but it takes a while and i feel like it takes until about this point and i i was just talking to someone the other day about how over you know the history of human civilization like to begin fasting in the middle of winter, like in January, is a lot less natural than now because you needed your food stores to make sure that you would get through the winter. Yeah. But now we're close enough to spring where it's like there's hope on the horizon. There's going to start being fresh foods and vegetables. You know you're going to survive the winter. And you can now sort of start to do this. Like It feels good to cleanse before summer. Like We were talking earlier about how this is the time of year when you prune. Like you're actually, if you're going to go out and prune your grapevines or your fruit trees, you do it at the end of winter. So it's in a seasonal way. It's kind of interesting that that happens at the same time as this season of spiritual pruning. Well, I love how like Louisiana does Mardi Gras. We think Mardi Gras is the night before Ash Wednesday, but in Louisiana, Mardi Gras is this, it's a season. It goes on for weeks and there's feasting and there's parades and people are eating. So there, nobody's doing this. Oh, it's January 25th, I need to be on my fasting diet. They're like, no, it's Mardi Gras. We're feasting. Lent's coming up in three weeks. We've got we've to gotta feast and have We're a parade. Indulge. <laughs> and then as a culture, it shifts into Lent. And I think there is, it is easier and less scary to fast in communion with other people. So when everybody's giving up sweets, everybody's fasting, it builds camaraderie. It sets this like, we, we are the people set apart. This is what we're doing. And I think we've lost a lot in our you know, very Protestant, increasingly secularized culture of the power of fasting in community and feasting in community. And so there's a balance to it. Now, Emily, question. Um, in terms of like the Mardi Gras preseason to Lent, is that a is that particular to Southern U.S. Catholics? Or does that take place in France as well? Or I don't know enough about it in Europe. I just know that in Louisiana, they're feasting and celebrating for weeks like mardi gras is not a weekend it's a season i like how you highlight them as a good example like camaraderie and doing it but do they also bring the same camaraderie to like lent parade i I just i just have i can't i don't have images of lent parades in louisiana we don't parade during Lent, but they don't parade during lent yeah i mean they parade leading up to it and then everything does shift i mean from from what i know of louisiana catholics like they we should have a Louisiana Catholic or I know, Katie. more properly because I think when we were in Mobile, they said Mardi Gras started in Mobile and yeah. gravitated you know, west. We love So Mobile. they're very proud of that. Hey, started here. So, I know. so if, that whole if you are a Louisiana or Mobile Catholic, if you were part of Louisiana, reach out. We'll, yeah. we'll interview you about yeah. your experience. I think we could get Katie on here. She's Katie McGrady and her family are supposed oh, to stay with us. Oh, that would be so Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, so. Very, that's a good idea. Yeah. We'll get Katie. Katie's a big proponent of... Mardi Gras of season. feasting followed by fasting. Yeah. Um, so Casey, you were saying earlier that you're exp- you spent some time in a Norbertine monastery. How long were you there? I was there for about four years. And, and uh, you said it was actually easier to f- and more pleasant to fast there than it <laughs> is within the course of family life. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely, Kate. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or Diane Reeves, which one? Yeah, which yeah. Who are we talking to, Kate? Yeah, or I, I think I think like <laughs> fasting. 
in religious life, uh, it's much easier to fast because not only is everybody doing it, but <clears throat> your life is is being supported in such a way where everybody. I mean, there's you have one person, the quartermaster, who's in charge of all the bills. You have a whole team that's cooking. Like everything's ordered so that the monks or canons regular, which you were, can pray and do these like special devotional things that people in the world will struggle to do because of children, jobs, you know, mm-hmm. irregular schedules, irregular sleep patterns. So they they make it a goal for the for the monastic life to be as regular as possible, so that you can do all these devotional things. So fasting was, was very easy in the monastery because um, we follow the rule of Saint Augustine. And in his rule, if you're familiar with it, it was written for, I guess, religious sisters originally, but they just flipped the gender. But he talks about, like, uh, you know, when you fast in the monastery, he, he distinguishes between, like, the ideal, which is fasting, and also uh, not everybody can live up to the ideal. Sometimes you have to make concessions on account of hu- human weakness. Mm-hmm. So he talks about some brothers who are sick. Um, if they can't fast, well, then just have them do, just only eat at mealtimes, do that. So that there's gradations of, like, mortification, we had a we had a guy there from Vietnam, and the guy like could not gain weight, and um, he was not permitted to fast. The abbot forbade him. He's like, I command you by the virtue power of obedience, you may not fast at all. And in fact, during Lent, he'd make the kid eat twice as much. And to him, it was a great mortification and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And we felt bad for him, but the guy just his body wouldn't hold calories. It actually made him more sad because he wanted to be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And we, there was a priest there who was doing visits to the Mayo Clinic, and his body was having really weird me- metabolic issues. And he had to eat like protein shakes and weight gainers during the meal because hmm. um, his body was just completely out of whack. But in, in monastic life, nobody batted an eye. You know, you're, like, you're just, okay, well, we're all built differently. Some people can handle it, others can't. It's a different type of cross. But they still gave up something in some way. So like as a community during Lent, you know, we, we'd fast every day, which is like the, the ecclesiastical fast, right? You know, two collations, two snacks, whatever, that don't equal a full meal and then a normal meal at the end. But we had no warm food until dinner time, hmm. you know, so that's one. We had no meals, no snacks. During afternoons of manual labor, you'd have your water at noon and you have nothing else until 5.30 p.m. So we just take a big gulp of water and keep that in our mouth the whole afternoon. Hmm. You know, not everybody's called to that, whatever, but... It's just how we did it. And you could, of course, get exemptions if your kidneys are, like, wrung out or something. Um, but anyway, I, I feel like it's a lot easier to fast in religious life because your life is regular, whereas if if you're a parent, if you're working a, a difficult job, if you're, like, pouring concrete, using a jackhammer, um, you still want to give something up and be hungry, but but you got to be very prudent. Like, one of the seminarians, his father, uh, was a cook at Denny's years ago, and he's a priest now, Father Benedict. And his dad was a cook at Denny's, and he read this book on how to do a black fast, mm, you know, yeah. which is just water-only fast. And a number of us actually in the monastery did that. You know, for five days, we just had water only. We had a whole class on it, you know, talked about how the first stage is like, you're a little bit hungry. Every time you're hungry, drink water. And um, eventually, after about a day, your body will no longer be hungry. And it was, it was all true. So anyway, this guy's dad, when he was a cook at Denny's, did a black fast as a cook at Denny. So he's making scrambled eggs, hash browns, <laughs> moons over my hammy. And the whole time, every time you get hungry, he'd take a swig of water and open up the book to see where he was. I want to say he did it for like nine days with no food. Wow. Yeah. Um, and at, at the end, of course, like we're not, we're not endorsing this, you know, cause no dog, <laughs> but like, you know, low key we are. But at the end of it, like we are taught, you can feel your body begin to eat itself, begin mm-hmm. to eat its own protein. And then, you know, it's time to cut the fast. Right. So when I did it, I remember for me, I had a lot of food issues, and it really healed a lot of them. Not all, but it healed a lot, hmm. um, you know, because it makes you appreciate, obviously, like food, uh, but all, it shrinks your stomach. Uh, my skin cleared up. You know, I, I fasted later after I married Kate, and it really helped cure my eczema. So on a natural level, there's there's benefits too, because it reset my, my gut biome. I like to think it did, at least. Um, but I used to have tons of eczema, and now it's gone. Hmm. I think fasting had a lot of natural reasons, but... One of our philosophy teachers would fast 22 days every Lent, and like we'd watch him, you know. He would take moderate walks, you know, slow walks, but that was about it. But that life affords you the privilege of engaging these mortifications. Like there's things you can do in a monastery that you cannot do in the married life. And I yeah. think yeah. that's an interesting point about the seasons of life because I feel like my 
way of celebrating Lent and then celebrating Holy Week were so different. So different. As yeah. a single person yeah. than as a married person. I remember, Emily, I believe last year you made a, a solemn vow not to attend. That was two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, I'm not taking my... What did we have at the time? We had three a, under two or something. We had, yeah. Ellie <laughs> like, was. It's a Good Friday. Ellie it was, was no. It was Palm Ellie Sunday. Was it was Palm Bruh. Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was. It, we had so many littles. Yeah, we had three and we had three, three and under, and then there was just barely three. No, yeah, they were all babies. At yeah, the same and time. I, I. So I remember. I mean, I love the Triduum, and for years as a single person, the Triduum was the highlight of the year. And, you know, it's like the liturgical Olympics. You're at Chrism Mass, and you're Holy Thursday, and Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and it's awesome, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And the thought of doing that with three small human beings who are... Especially when there were three and under. With it's diapers like, and have yeah. to go to bed at a certain hour. There was one year I was, I was at Steubenville. I think I was still in grad school. And we went – I normally didn't go to the Easter Vigil at the university because it was, it was just – it was a lot for me. Um, but I would go to the Easter Vigil at my parish. So, But this year we had friends coming into the church, so we were going to go to the Easter Vigil. And these family – there was a family sitting next to us. That brought sleeping bags for oh, their wow. small children, and they like scooch the chairs up so the kids. Could and what be in what was your bed. reaction to that oh, as a bad. as a single That's person cool. <laughs> at the I, time? I was, you I was were like, like okay, "How your kids dare need they?" To be in bed. Like your kids need to be in bed because the kids were wired for the first half, and I I think their dad had been. This was, Casey's like taking notes, taking notes. It was so <laughs> wild. It was like, "Oh my lord, take these poor children home. They just need to be in bed." Um, and I, if someone wants to do that, that's fine. But I can't do that. With is my it kids. though, Emily? Is it fine? I don't it's know. fine. It's it worked for them. If it I, worked we, for them, but it actually inconvenient. Like I'm all for kids being. But a at mass. liturgy is a public event. It, like, so you really got to take back. They, they pushed forward the whole rolls of folding chairs in front of them. It's kind of impressive. So the people though. in front of them were super scrunched. Because it's a they really long mass the though. Yeah, it was like s'mores. Come but on, all the people who had. You know, fasted during Lent, were prepared in charity I was to tolerate not terrible and, enough. No, and sorry. I was like, no, I'm just keeping my kids home until they can, I can handle it. Well, these are the really practical questions of Lent, though, right? I well, mean, because I, you're not called to celebrate the liturgy in the same way right. as no, a, they're not. In, I've had at lots every of stage of life. To me. The, the Triduum liturgies are not designed for small children. Not all of they're them. They're not developmentally appropriate for small children. And it's great. If you have a child who can handle it, if you have lots of family members, big brothers and sisters who can pass the kids forward, but there's fire and strangers. And yeah, we waited. The, people's hair gets lit on fire. We've had we've had one hair lighting experience. Really? We, we waited. Hair got caught oh, yeah, gosh. hold on. We'll come back to that. We, we waited <laughs> until we had enough big kids who to really appreciate it. I think it was it was a few years ago that we right, started going. We have older kids. Older really kids. So we had it. kids who could really appreciate it and I was like, well, if you guys can watch a movie late once a week or whatever, you can go to mass. So we right. we tried it out a couple of years ago and they just to go to the vigil like because that is the heart of the year and it's right beautiful and it's wonderful and i can't yeah and it's amazing and it, it'll be amazing it's still going to be amazing it's still going to be there and when we went to it the kids were like that's their favorite mass because yeah. like the whole church is dark so and then beautiful. there's fire yeah, and dramatic. there's a rush of fire but there are like many many candles and hot wax that you can pour on your hands and our, our one hair lighting episode was actually um, it was actually Casey. It was on Casey's watch. She was holding the what, three-year-old. And she was like, let me relight the candle. And he was like, all right. And then she, then her hair was, it was a slight. I think slight I was pinch. holding a baby too with one arm. Well, Guinevere hair has beautiful, long, curly hair. Yes. So there's a lot of it. So I can see that. I have a sister also who had long waist length hair and was in the vigil mass next to my younger brother who sort of like, and she probably used hairspray. It was like the era of hairspray. (laughs) And so he was waving around his candle and it was like this rush of flame and like stench of burning hair that wafted through the hole. Like there's, Legitimate practical reasons why it See, might be okay. these are the okay. stories right. that used and to be in, like, Catholic Digest. I don't, yeah. I don't want to discourage families. Like, if you have a kid who handles strangers past bedtime and fire, and it's good, like, go with that. That's awesome. And once they're ready, it's amazing. But don't feel guilty if you're like, you know, I think we're going to stay home this year yeah, because like, I Yeah, if you've been a very pious enough. couple before you met or when you met and right. you didn't have any children, and all of a sudden you, you feel like you're somehow – you know, cheating God because right. you're not going to all the things that you used to go to. I mean, it's a different season and you're called to different 
things and it is a public thing you know the liturgy is public so you know you have some consideration of like well how's our family going to impact this or are my children ready for this you know to be up this late for a liturgy this long because we used to i think our easter vigil was because when i did rca we were almost always like two hours and 15 minutes you know so with our kids right now like after about 50 minutes you're like Ooh. do you remember the year it's we like, did the <laughs> extraordinary form for the oh my gosh easter yes vigil. i do <laughs> Yes. With your small children? No, 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 no. no we're single still. We're single. I don't, we were. We did the. It started at. Truly, one of the 10. longest masses I've ever been to, and of course, it's in Latin. I don't speak Latin. I don't read Latin very well, and or anything like. I don't even want to claim that really I do. But I, I just to share this, with, and then we'll move on. But you know, we're at this, and it's just going on and on and on. And then I realized where we were. We were starting the mass part. Like all this, all these things had preceded hours. us, and it was like two and a half hours. hours. And I realized, oh, we're like at the beginning of a regular liturgy now. I almost cried on the spot. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh! It's like it was so late. It was like 12:30 at night. I was like, oh, oh, it's so late. And I was writing. I was writing but, the American Catholic Al- Almanac at the time, which had the most oh, insane yeah. deadline. So I was having heart palpitations from the stress. Like I'd been seeing a cardiologist. So the whole time we're sitting in this like four-hour-long liturgy that started at my bedtime. I was having heart palpitation. I'm like, maybe I'm dying. I don't know. I guess if I'm going to die, this is a good place, good to, place die. to do it. Yeah. But I don't feel that way anymore with small children. I, I I, would rather die in my own bed on Holy Saturday than be at the Easter <laughs> vigil with my small children. I think I had years where I was really self-righteous. Like, we have to do this. We're Catholic. Like, we have to go to every <laughs> single bit of the oh, of the triduum. Yeah. Casey <laughs> disagreed with me. You, you had a different perspective. I remember those years. And what was your perspective on that? Listen, they put they put vests on kids. I saw a kid at mass with a monkey vest on. His dad oh had him on a leash. You the kid was bugging out. So listen, no, for some people, no. they're there. You cannot combine. You cannot compare children to animals on in a public forum, oh, and that's why I'm married to you. I don't know that her children are lowering her blood pressure, though. <laughs> Ellie does. No, that's, that's not Sometimes true. Ellie so does. Holding a child will Ellie totally. Ellie is so. She's so cuddly. She's so sweet right now. Well, Ellie I, loves I, my blood pressure. I want to say I do like how. With the new masses, like you went to the extraordinary form, mm-hmm. the old one, you know, with at least with the new masses, you have the speed options, you know, Eucharistic prayer number two, things of that nature. I yeah. get it. You know, not everybody can handle a super long liturgy. So I'm grateful. Well, I think there's Four other things to be given yeah. up. Like there's the whole point of Lent. Lent is not a competition. It's not a spiritual Olympics. It's not let me show how it's much not. I can do. Like it's meant to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. It's meant to help you grow closer to Christ. And so... Sometimes you grow closer to Christ through being home with your kids and offering that up and finding ways that you can. No, spiritual writers talk about that. I mean, the it's there. There can be pride built into doing, you know, extreme penances. All the you know, stuff. or you know, not that the monks are, but I'm sure you know monks struggle with pride too. You know, like oh, we're doing this, and it is you, a bunch of men. Don't tell me they're not competing. No, and the, the rule of Saint Augustine talks about that all the time. Like that right, so he's aware. I mean, we're fallen, we're fallen. Yeah, we're fallen beings. But I think you know the the call of love. You know, the sacrifice of duty. You know the, you know to do the things that you need to do. I mean, those are often the hardest things. You know the you know whatever. I mean, it's the laundry. It's you know it's the stack of papers at work. You know, for teachers, you know, it's grading, you know, those are the disciplinary things that really count, like doing the things that you have an obligation to other people, you know, your spouse, your children, your, your workplace. And in some ways it can be easier to say, well, I'm fasting, you know, or I'm, I'm doing this thing that's just voluntary. And then we're, you know, again, where we're shown up too is when something comes upon us that we don't want, you know, we find out we have some kind of physical hardship, especially usually, you know, some kind of disease or, you know, something like that. Uh, no, I mean, there's grieving, all kinds of things that happen there. But, you know, when God's providence introduces something into our life that's a legitimate cross, you know, and we we balk at that, you know, it is training. You know, these voluntary penances are training for those other times, which will come, do come. And, uh, you know, so the call of love, uh, you know, is the ultimate, you know, conversion. And so you're always kind of, I think, assessing what you're doing like, am, am I getting closer to that? Am I going the right direction? Or maybe this is, you know, I put a strange obstacle here where I'm, you know, I'm taking pride in all these penances I'm doing, but I'm still, you know, uh, short with my wife. And, you know, and, and when my kids ask me to do something, you know, I'm, I'm not very generous. You know, then uh, what are my penances accomplishing then? Which kind of goes back to the sweets question, because I think it's, 
it's such a humble little penance. Like I've given up chocolate for Lent. I've given up sweets for Lent. But doing the humble little penance can actually bear great spiritual fruit because how much pride can you take in giving up sweets? How much pride can you take in giving up chocolate? And so you do the humble little thing and you look at, you know, great, you can take cold showers or you could do the laundry. <laughs> you could right. help your wife with, with the laundry or you could not get angry at your husband when he's gone longer than he says he's going to be gone when he's running errands. No, That's really good about that. that. <laughs> <laughs> but those are the, here, may I sh- if I can share this, because I always thought it was such a, a pearl of wisdom and I've used it with students many years, but uh, I was on some Opus Day retreat and the priest was telling us, like, here is a good penance. He said it must be concrete and measurable. And so he says, like, don't do, you know, don't have some kind of goal, like, I'm going to be a more generous person. I'm going to be more patient. He said, you need to do something. And the example he shared was this priest had just been ordained a two or three years. And there was another priest who was supposed to give a, a retreat, and he got sick. And so he got called in at the last minute. And one of the people on the retreat was, like, a Supreme Court justice in Spain. And so when he went on the retreat, he's like, whoa, he's like, this guy is really important. And so they do the whole week. And at the end, they're supposed to come up with some kind of um, practical resolution. And so he was really excited to find out what the Supreme Court justice was going to do as a practical resolution. And so he had this whole conference with the, with the justice. And the justice said, I am not going to sit in my wingback chair when I get home from, from work. And the priest was kind of disappointed. He's like, what? You know, it's like, Supreme Court, I thought you were going to do something to reform the government, you know, or something big. But then he said, you know, I was young and dumb. He said, as I got older, I said, that's the exact kind of penance. And he said, here is the, this is his thinking. This guy was a father of seven children. And when he would come home, he was tired and he would sit in his wingback chair and he would fall asleep and ignore his children. So his goal was bigger. It's like, is to be a better father. But it was this very concrete thing. I'm not going to sit in my wingback chair, which is just, it's really a yes or no thing. Did I do it or did I not do it? You know, did I succeed or fail? And it wasn't like, I'm going to be a better father. It's I'm just not going to do this thing. And hopefully some good comes from that because then I'll be awake. You know, I'll be with my kids and, and some other things. But, you know, it's very measurable. So I think, you know, and you probably know that, you know, from your monastic life and maybe, you know, everybody does from, you know, just reading. But I always thought that that's very helpful because a lot of us, you know, we want, we have these vague spiritualized goals of, you know, being more loving, being more patient, you know, whatever we struggle with. Uh but, you know, for the guy that struggles with, you know, pornography or whatever, like I'm not getting on the computer, you know, or whatever, you know, or, or I'm going to get up at six o'clock, you know, when my alarm goes off, I'm getting up. And then, you know, you can just measure that. Well, I didn't. I said I was going to do that and I didn't. And so you start over the next day, you know, it's the next day of Lent. Like I said, I'm going to get up at six o'clock. And yesterday, you know, I hit the snooze button. I got up at 623, you know, and that robbed me of 23 minutes of, you know, whatever, helping my wife or whatever you're going to do. So just that measurable quality of, you know, I'm going to do this, this, this very concrete thing. And out of that, I hope something good grows. Which is another great point that you can, just because you screw up one day and you don't, you're not able to do what you'd set as your Lenten penance does not mean you can't do it the next day. It's because I think a lot of people, one day they fall off the wagon yeah, and there goes Lent. And like, well, I'm just going back to this. I'm going back to scrolling on the smartphone. I'm going back to Instagram. I'm going back to eating chocolate and there's still graces to be had during the other days of Lent. If you return to that penance, it's not like all graces have been lost because you did not do it on this one particular day. It's not a reality TV show where you're disqualified from competing in the rest of the season. (laughs) You're voted off the Lenten Island. Like you're not voted off the Lenten Island when you screw up your penance. Like you're just human and you pick yourself up the next day and you keep going or you adjust you know, you realize that you took on a penance that was detrimental to your family life. Right. And so you rethink your penance 10 days or 20 days in. How can I How can I do something that's actually going to help me grow closer to Christ and not make my wife crazy, crazy. every day? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Emily, do you think it's good to share, like, penances with other people in a public manner to help keep you accountable and encourage you? Or what, what's your take on that? I'm agnostic about it. I think it's good for some people and bad for others. And you just have to use your best discernment and judgment. Some people really need that accountability. Uh, sometimes it's helpful for other people to see what someone else is doing. And other times you just need to, you know, not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. So I think that's between everybody and Jesus. I think that the concept of you're so right about us people in general coming up against failing 
at, at going through, it's like, okay, I set myself this fairly easy penance and I can't do it. <laughs> and I think that maybe that's part of the answer to why, you know, when Chris was telling us, like going, you know, going over what we already know, like this is what is requ- required of us at, at Lent. Um, and it doesn't sound that hard. And then sometimes you set a penance, or I know I do, that doesn't seem that hard. And then like a week and a half later, I totally fail at it. And then I'm like, well, Lent's <laughs> over. Lent's over. I think it's, Easter. maybe it's because Lent is so hard because it's like, even if you do that, you know for the rest of Lent that you failed. Or like you're, you're kind of encountering your own weakness, yeah, like in a really exactly. simple way where like you're trying to do something and realizing it's hard and then still failing at it, at least if you're me, you know. I mean, I think I've had a couple big successes with Lent over my lifetime, whereas it's a time where if you go through it, you can actually really change your 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 ways of doing things. I think when I was I was a teenager and my mom challenged me to have a silent Lent where I didn't listen to radio because I listened incessantly to radio interviews while I was doing the dishes, which took like three <laughs> hours because I'm the oldest of nine which children. Which is why... Yeah, so homeschooled, had no zero television. All I had as a lifeline to the outdoor world was <laughs> was public radio, right? That was the whole wide world. I was like on a ridge in Wisconsin. But there was one year in Lent where my mom was like, you know, I really think you should consider, it was around Lent that she talked to me about it, but she, she was like, consider just not listening to the radio, which I'm not maybe trying to tell people listening to our podcast that they should stop listening to things during Lent. I've I've painted myself into a corner. But for me, that year, I turned off the radio and it was super uncomfortable. And But my mom's point was like, you need to become comfortable living with silence. And so for me, being able to create that silence, to, to do work in silence and to sit with my own thoughts was really important. Emily and I, though, were talking about this the other day, and she was like, I have the exact opposite feeling about listening to things because you work so much in silence that you're like, as soon as you come out of your office, you're like, I want music on. I want to be listening to something. I want to be like back in the world, right? You have kind of a different relationship to silence. Yeah, I mean, I've done the whole don't listen to the radio in the car, don't, you know, I've done the silence, but I spent a lot of my life not a lot. I mean, I'm up early before everybody else. If I'm writing, I'm in silence. So, I yeah, and I'm an extrovert. So too much silence makes me go a little cuckoo. But but I also do some of my best thinking with music on, and I do some of my best thinking with podcasts on. So so definitely listen to podcasts, particularly definitely this listen one. to podcasts. As many podcasts. Definitely as many podcasts as possible. Penance. No, I no, think. Listen like, to our podcast. But it's right. the idea of weakness. So. This morning I was I I've had, I have had a rough twenty four hours mostly because of my my mouth I say things that I need to not say sometimes, and but it, this morning I was thanking God for that because I'm like it's so good Lord that I humble myself so much because I'm not allowed to think too well of myself like hmm. I'm very grateful that I um I don't know just always stumbling into it. Because it helps me realize how much I need Christ and how much, like, any good I do, I do because of him. And so even when you are failing, air quotes, at Lent, like, that is a grace because you realize how much you need the Lord and how much, like, every good thing you do, every good thing you say, every person you're able to love, every charitable inclination of your heart, like, that's a grace from God. And so failing Lent is sometimes winning Lent because you see the needs you have for our Savior. And the idea of getting through Lent, being like, all right, I nailed all my penances. I got to Mass every day. I did it all. That really can feed pride. And that is not where you want to end up on Easter Sunday. So next Lent. (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 much better on Easter Sunday to be like, all right, Lord, I, I tried to do all these things and I did not. And I'm... Yeah, I need you, right. Lord. Blessed Thank you for dying spirit. for me. Yeah. yeah. That's good insight. So, That's good. yeah, well, you know, stumbling through life like I do. It's interesting <laughs> for you, too, because you're so good with words and you struggle with words at times at the same time, which yeah. is kind of fascinating. So. Well, it's that, that Greek conception of, you know, hamartia. Your, 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 your strength, strength your will weakness. become your weakness. Mm-hmm. Your but your weakness grows out of the same place that your strength does. So that's yeah. But that's always why it's such a miracle that when God uses my words to do something in someone's heart, and someone will thank me, and I'm like, "Oh, it's 
Like, that's so Jesus. You don't even understand how much Jesus that is. Like, there's something about knowing your own, I don't want to say depravity, but like <laughs> your sometimes. own. It's a little too, a little, yeah. Um, but your own oh. weakness and your own. I think that like is the right emptiness. word. I, yeah. I actually think that's own, something we yeah. shy away from. We do shy away from it, but it's like they we it used to be really embraced because it's also true, yeah. right? I mean, humans are capable. Did it kind of, of fall depravity. out of favor in the eighteen hundreds with all those Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God? Maybe. Right. Well, yeah, there can be. A, I think there can be a negative way of doing it, but there, I think there yeah. can be a rightly ordered way because you really do hear the same. You're still good, like as a human being, you are good. You are created by God. But there's this depravity that also goes hand in hand with well, it. We're wounded. I mean, to realize yeah, that wound is real is... for each of us. Yeah. I was thinking that at Mass, I think of it quite often because I think in the church now, there's, you know, we're scandalized by sin, as we should be. You know, it's a, it's a strange place to be in the church because on one hand, we say, well, we're fallen creatures and, you know, we're all sinful. And at Mass, we say, uh, you know, I have sinned, I have sinned, I have greatly sinned. Everybody in the congregation is saying that. We're not yelling out the sins that we've committed, but, you know, implicitly, it's like, this is true about all of us well, we in like some way. We're really good people, right? I've, but then, I've sinned. I've sinned. I've greatly sinned. But, you know, but not we're the way they have. Good. You know, yeah, so not the way, yeah. But penance. I mean, the, Lent is such a healthy season this way. You know, and similar to going to confession. Obviously, they're they're very intimately related. But you know, when you go to confession, it's very different than most of the other ways we interact in the world. You know, when you meet people, you know, you want to put your best foot forward. You're going to talk about your successes and things you're proud of, and you know, and on social media, you know, I think it's healthy too. You know, you're just putting. We went on this vacation and we did this thing, you know, and you're putting lots of good things out there, which is fine. But then that's not the full reality. I mean, there's a whole interior life that we have. There are ways we fail. Uh, you know, so when you go in the confessional and in the season of Lent, the church really gently but firmly invites you. So you need to focus on this part of your life. Like, yeah, sure, you go to the soup kitchen and you do lots of good things, but that's not what this season is about. We're not focusing on those things right now. You know, those are those are things worthy of praise you know, of God and, and you cooperating. But, you know, this season, we're going to look at, you know, how you fail and your weaknesses. And, you know, and, and we're going to draw attention to that. And we're going to beg God's grace into this to help you to grow and mature into his likeness. Yeah, I mean, if the best thing you take away from Lent after failing at every single penance you've set out for yourself is your need for a savior, that's a great Lent. Like, that is a phenomenal Lent if you understand your own brokenness and your need for a savior. Uh, Emily, your your abiding awareness of your depravity, your failures, whatever. I mean, I, I think that's what enables us to be converted, to continually cry out for deeper union with God. And that was also the very thing that like made all those missionaries to China unable to convert them back in the what the eighteen hundreds, right? They'd always talk about when they went when they went to China. Uh, the Chinese were like, well. Why should we get converted? We have food. We have mm. our, our food is so good that yeah. we don't need God. <laughs> yeah, I'm that like... was not joking. We've had we had three really amazing girls from China stay with us. They were all from a place no one had ever heard of called Wuhan. People were like, <laughs> "Where's that?" Um, it was and before it was thinking? before COVID. Yeah. Um, but they they're like. They had this um, such a rich food culture, and it mm. was a communal culture. So the things that really drew their culture together was amazing food and family connections, and their whole lives were built around that. And there was so much of that that they felt, you know, theoretically fulfilled by. But also, it. cell phones. Also, cell phones. Because they saw their technology. family once a year for just the spring festival. That's true. Yeah, huh. it's the the basis of the culture that they were coming out of. I think it's been deeply, you know, affected by modern nature but but so you were saying that like the, the missionaries showed up and they were like our food's way too good we don't need you guys yeah our clothing's great our food is good That's we have like you know all these cool weapons and you know interesting people and poets why do we need christianity and so i think the missionaries mm -hmm. had a hard time uncovering their their hunger they were unable to awaken that depravity which was in their soul and everybody's soul and that was a big obstacle. And they, you know, they dressed differently, tried to blend in, learn the language, do a jig, whatever. But they never could really crack the code. But that's why the mm. poor are so important. That's why almsgiving is such, like almsgiving forces us to look at the poor, who we don't want to look at very often, because they are a natural symbol of, you know, the supernatural reality of all of us. And the poor are a perpetual reminder of how poor we, we are. Like, it's the poor beloved by Christ. And we are beloved by Christ because we too are poor. And it's very uncomfortable for, you know, it's easy to, we want to blame the poor. We want to stigmatize the poor. We want to, 
you know, like, oh, those terrible people, how could they make such bad decisions? It's all their fault. They put themselves into it. But like the poor are sacred, like they're, they're kind of sacramental through which, like, if we look at them, we can see ourselves and how poor we all are. And also, I think in general, as a wealthy nation, we have a, the danger of saying, like, why do I need you? Why, God, right. why do I need you? You know, while ignoring the poor within us, um, there is a great poverty of spirit where we're sort of, you know, we're in danger of Christianity shrinking down to a, a fish fry, being a reminder of when we were engaging in Lent collectively and while we're not engaging in that spiritual work of Lent. So, wow. We're going to pause. <laughs> well, Chris, Chris, Emily, Kate, do you guys have any like tips and tricks uh, for Lent? Or let's, let's talk about poor people. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like the top, let's talk about the topic of poor people. How about that? No. Um, see, no, no, I think you should start over what you That's just probably said. a separate. That's, that's a, that actually could be a whole podcast. No, I'm just saying, all right, so I'm driving through <laughs> a like, rough part of town. I see, like, can't. mumbling to himself no, with no, a cardboard sign. No, no. What do I do? I he want to do the actually, right thing. In, in, in all fairness, Casey does this every day. Yeah, so it's it's like, it's, like what do you do I'm when you encounter I'm real going, poverty yeah, and on a daily basis? Okay, I'm going through. Okay, so this is this is where different people have different thoughts. Your kids actually corrected me when I was driving them home from school last really? year. Yeah, because we, there was a homeless person on the street who was begging, so I gave them some money. And, oh, gosh. And the kids were like, oh, dad says don't give them money. And I was like, well, giving the poor money also gives them dignity. And so I'm you know, trusting them to make their own decisions and I want to empower them. And I said, there's different ways that we can approach, you know, serving serving the poor. And yeah, almsgiving yeah. is pretty fascinating that way. I, I I tend to be fairly radical about this, I think, you know, but I think it's the biblical view. Almsgiving is a way of atoning for sins. I mean, it's very, you know, it's very I mean, it's explicit, I it's think, explicit in Daniel. In the Bible and Joe, Jesus, you know, and we we're talking yeah. about before you had mentioned previous to us recording, but you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says when you fast, but he also says when you give alms. Uh now, I mean, you know, I'm all for people discerning that as they can. You know, some people like to give to organizations and things. But Emily, I've talked about that. Like, you know, giving somebody five dollars or ten dollars, you know, or whatever you can give them even a you know a dollar or fifty cents. I mean, you are engaging their freedom. Like you're you're giving them money. And people do that to us all the time, you know, through salary, you know, through um you know, Emily's right. I mean, there are all kinds of ways money is given to us as gifts. And it's really, you know, when wealthy people get that, we don't really think anything of it. But the poor, we become very, um, I don't know, censorious of, you know, yeah, paternalistic about how they're going to use that money. And we assume, you know, many of them are drug addicts and alcoholics. And of course, some are. But, you know, so are a lot of wealthy people for that matter. And we really don't think twice about how they get their money, what they do their, with their money. But, um, I mean, I think there is a divine economy where Jesus does really want us to give directly to the poor, at least under certain circumstances. And it really is a way of atoning uh, for like sin. Obviously high, stumblingly drunk. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, yeah, I've said no under those circumstances yeah. too. But, uh, you know, Thomas Merton, I think in Seven Story Mountain, he talked about just the joy of being in Cuba and he would have a, a, a pocket full of money in one of his pockets that was just for the poor people. And, and he had sinned quite a bit before he came into the church. And he's like, this is such a gift from God to be able to give them money. He said, I know I'm atoning for my sins, even as I do this. So, and again, you know, getting back to the sacramental view of the poor and, you know, in God's providence, you know, we want to love people who, you know, who need things and we want to give them things that they need because I think, you know, we don't want to over romanticize poverty. Uh, you know, where you, like you have no food, but you know, there's a kind of poverty where you just don't have a lot of stuff. You know, you may have enough, you know, subsistence level living, but you know, when we need to get rid of things we have and, you know, that's money. I mean, in a capitalist society, we need to get rid of money. And, you know, I could go down to the casino and give the casino money with the idea that I could win more money. And yet, you know, right now, you know, that same night, there are people that are starving, that need a couch, they need rent money, they need gas money, they need a new car. And, uh, you know, I think Christ really, you know, appeals to our minds, like to fire your imagination, like what could you do with your money and to store up treasure in heaven? Well, how do you store up treasure in heaven? You know, John Anderson talks about like the Bible is very pretty explicit about this, like you're giving a loan to God. 
when you give money to the poor, you're giving a loan to God, and God is going to invest that in some mysterious way. It sounds like St. So. John Chrysostom when he talks about that. Oh, yeah, I'm know, sure he's... How, yeah. how the, poor, the poor need us, our money, uh, but we need them for our salvation. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, we give to organizations and religious orders in our parish. Yeah, certainly. But there's a power in... So our parish in Pittsburgh that we have attended for the past couple of years and that we still go back to because we love it so much is downtown and there are you know homeless people who are outside there every week and our kids know their names and we talk to them and we have a relationship with them and it's not just that we've given them money like I gave Charles some curtains when right, he got yeah, his, his so new his new apartment, new apartment in the homeless shelter he got to have a room with curtains and we got we got him curtains and but I think there's power in giving to individuals Individuals. I mean, it's one of the reasons I love GoFundMe's. I love being, we give to, we give to like every GoFundMe that crosses well, our many, path yeah, almost. No, so that, right. I mean, it's just, there's something powerful in giving to people. And that's not just nice people in the suburbs who've had a bad thing happen to them, but the alcoholic homeless guy in front of the parish who you see every week. And I yeah. love that our kids know Charles and have a relationship with yeah. him. Because we, you can't, in the city, you can't escape it. Like, we cross yeah. four mm. bridges to go to school, to go to our, you know, homeschool, co-op school. And so that means that there's there's going to be four, you know, people that right. we have At to in, encounter every with day. and not every single day. So when Casey yeah. asks that question, he's actually thinking about the people that he sees every day, yeah. you know, multiple times a day as a part of your trip. So it's like for, for our children, we've talked about that a lot because it's like, how do you, how do you give, we try to put together homeless bags so that mm. we have, we can give them like a little baggie that has like a protein bar. And, you know, I keep meaning to do another load with like clean socks for winter. Mm, Cause yeah, I was reading socks. about people freezing. And one of the things about that is just never having clean socks. And like, I told my kids like, guys, next homeless bag round, we're going to give everybody clean socks. And they were like, mom, we never have clean, like, <laughs> like we never have pairs of socks. Giving them away. Kids. <laughs> I was like, I go pick some you extra ones at the same time. But but one thing that I've done recently, if I open the window and you know hand out a protein bar, or hand out whatever, is that I've always I've started asking like, what is your name? Yeah. You know, because I want to be able to pray for that person by name and just like have one moment where I'm like. Hey, Chris, I hope you have a good day. You know, like right. I think so looking in the face of a person has been really important to us. And we always we always ask them to pray for us, too, because I think that gives them dignity. Like you give to the, we give we're giving you something, but we need your prayers like you can do something for and us. Your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful because you are the poor and you are close to Christ, even in even if you're a drug addict, even if you're mentally ill, like Christ, like Christ loves them so much. They're so close to them because they are an icon of what we all are like. Like we are all the homeless, mentally ill drug addict in terms of this, our state versus God's state, like compared to who he is and our need for him. That's all of us. And so the more concretely you can love them and honor them, I think the more you, you become comfortable in a sense with admitting your own brokenness. I well, think it is yeah. not unlike going to be in front of the blessed sacrament. You know, Jesus is in disguise, you know, seemingly as bread, and he's also in disguise as the poor. And, you know, he's very explicit about that in Matthew 25. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. So there's there's a mysterious encounter. I've almost thought of, like, you know, we talk about the transcendentals of, uh, you know, unity, uh, truth, beauty, and goodness. But I always think there's, like, a mysterious fifth one that God has revealed to us is the poor. You know, the poor are not beautiful. I mean, they're good, I mean, because they're human beings. But, you know, there's... You know, we don't want to be in their, situ in their situation, you know, and we want to draw them out of their situation, too, because we want them to have housing and, and things. But, you know, just loving them in the moment that there's, there's another way of encountering God that is not, it's not really transcendental it, it, or transcendent. It's, it's, it's imminent. You know, it's like our fallen human nature is manifested in this poor person. There's something mysterious. Jesus tells us we will always have the poor with us, you know, until he comes back. So there's something about our fallen human nature, like this is not a solvable problem in the big scheme of things. Somehow, there's always, there are always going to be people that are poor, and he wants us to love them. And he says, and I identify with them, like whatever you've done to the least of these. And so that's an invitation to, you know, to encounter Christ. Well, I think so, like St. Catherine of Siena and some of the other mystics, when they, when St. Catherine of Siena was around people who were deeply sinful, they stunk to her. They had this, like, they stunk worse than the worst smelling homeless person you have ever encountered. 
And I think that, again, it goes back to the, the poor as an icon of us. Like our sins are foul. Like they make us foul. They mar our beauty. They, they disfigure us. They disfigure us. Right. And so to, to love the poor in their brokenness, in their, in their illness, in whatever they're struggling with, like that's how Christ loves us. He loves us even when we stink. He loves us even when we're foul with sin. So sin is like spiritual flatulent. Yeah, it's like spiritual flatulent. Like, he loves us no matter how much we're tooting. Yeah, like he, he's, no, I mean, there's just this deep love for us even in our sin. He died for us even in our sin. And so like you have to love that poor person who hasn't showered for weeks and who's mentally ill, who's addicted to drugs and you think should have chosen a better life, but they didn't. Like to love them as an individual and to want to help them in some way, even if it's just it's handing them a protein bar. It's saying, I'm sorry, I don't have anything on me right now, but you know, what's your name? I'll I'll pray for you. Would you pray for me? Honoring them in some way is to love them. It's not just loving Christ, it's loving them like Christ loves us, which then helps us appreciate uh, how much more Christ loves us. During Lent, we heard a homily one time from a priest who gave really bland homilies. You know, my dad and I would always zone out. But uh, one Sunday in Lent, he gave some stirring homily. And I remember my dad just sat upright. It's like it just went into his soul. And like, I listened to it. And after mass, he's like, Casey, we're going to go to McDonald's and buy 70 cheeseburgers for the homeless people. Because like outside of the church was this grassy mm. lawn where all these homeless people would just hang out because the soup kitchen was closed on Sundays, which is like a weird day to close your soup kitchen. So anyway, we went to McDonald's. We bought like 70 hamburgers, no cheeseburgers. And I remember um, we pulled up like a SWAT team. Like we showed up, the van door slid open. My dad was, you know, he's like ex-military. He's like, go, 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 go. So I'm running out, like <laughs> passing out cheeseburgers to all these homeless guys who are just awakening from their naps or like whatever, like bender they've just awoken from and like here's a burger here's a burger here's a burger so in that moment i mean there's a lot of power in a good a a good word a good homily about this concrete issue and Mm -hmm. i think a a means to address it is very helpful like i'm a fan of like loving the poor but i also like concrete means for Mm -hmm. my dad in that instance a concrete mean was like here's a bunch of hungry people he can buy burgers um do you recommend any other concrete ways of helping homeless people besides like throwing burgers? I mean, I think look in your own hometown. So here in Steubenville, one of our favorite organizations to support is uh, Friendship Room. And our friend Molly runs mm-hmm. it. And it's just a house where she welcomes people who are struggling, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, the homeless people in Steubenville, the people who can barely put food on their tables. And sometimes they come and they get underwear, they get toothpaste, they get mm-hmm. drinks from the cooler, they have someone to talk to. And so Molly is so good at what she does. She is just this strong, tough, prickly woman who is so good at setting the right boundaries with people who are very addicted and very broken, but also loving them through those, you know, in the midst of those boundaries. And so for us, like we love to be able to give to the poor directly, but really finding the organizations that are working directly with the poor and and give to the people in your town, like as much as you can, like locally look for the people who are. Yeah. I mean, I I think there are a lot of avenues. You can ask your, your, your parish priest. I knew there was a years ago, there was a a friend of mine who found out this guy was in a nursing home and they were going to turn his cable off and he actually was blind. I mean, he just liked to listen to the TV. And so, this guy found out, he said, I'll, I'll pay his cable bill. So he just paid his cable bill until this, this gentleman died. You know, so there are opportunities. I think, you know, that's one of the things we didn't talk about prayer, you know, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. But uh, one of the most remarkable things that ever happened to me in my life was I asked, I, I had gone to Mass and I was in a great mood. And I said, Lord, send me somebody to help. And like not in within three seconds, it was downtown Pittsburgh. This person in a wheelchair asked me, he said, can you help me across the street? Brings wow. tears to my eyes. Like in three seconds, I was like, "Dang, wow!" I should make, be careful how often I pray this. I mean, <laughs> but you know, I think you know, Lord, lead me to somebody yeah. that needs my help. You know, where and you know what, where could I take my money or my time? You know, whatever you have to give. But like in Molly's case, we give money to her because she's earned the right. You know, for these, she loves these people and they know her and they trust her and they, you know, they go to her. We don't have that kind of access. I don't not have a relationship yet. with like 30 prostitutes in downtown Steubenville, but right, Molly but does. Molly does. And so we, like we want to help them. And so you find somebody that you trust and, uh, you know, and they're a mediator of that money and time and, you know, and their person. And But it's, I think, asking God, like saying, show me, because God wants you to help these people and they're out there, but sometimes we're so focused on our own life and our own stuff. We don't see 
whether it's the penances God is calling us to or the prayers, you know, we don't see what we need to see. And just the simple prayer of asking God to open our eyes to what he's placed before us in this moment. Like that's a prayer he answers. God, because God wants you to see it. God's not like, oh, right. I'm going to make you guess here. Like, can you figure out which work I'm calling you to? God's like, great. You want to help? Here, here you go. Help, help, help. I love that. And I think that like, I know we're going to close here, but having gone kind of through a little bit of all fasting and almsgiving and now prayer, uh, Chris, can you give us that prayer that you prayed? It's such a good one, like for everyone. So we'll just close this on on that prayer for God. Oh, well, I mean, it was the simple prayers I've ever prayed. I said, Lord, you know, just send me somebody to help. You know, and there, there was a person, you know, very immediately. So Lord, send us all somebody to help and also help us to recognize when we're the person who needs help. Send us somebody to help us. All right. Amen.